Welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast, where we explore all things related to motherhood, from career and relationships to parenting and wellness. Join me, Nina Spears, your baby expert and host, as we dive into topics that matter to mothers, share personal stories and insights, and interview experts and parents who can provide valuable advice and perspectives. Whether you're a first-time mom just starting out or a seasoned pro, we've got you covered. So grab a cup of tea, sit back, and let's Chick Chat. Hey guys, welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, your host, and today we have Anne and Steph as our guests. Anne is the co-founder and CEO of Canopy, a digital maternal mental health company. Before Canopy, she spent over five years leading maternal health organizations in East Africa, most recently as the COO of a social enterprise that uses technology to improve maternal and child nutrition. She has worked in global health for the State Department, USAID, and Massachusetts General Hospital, and has a master's degree from Tufts University. Anne is channeling her passion and expertise in maternal health and personal experiences with mental health conditions as a new mom to address the enormous care gap. Steph is an IBCLC teacher and medical records coordinator at Aeroflow Healthcare. She is also a postpartum doula and student herbalist with an ever-increasing passion for supporting growing families. After a challenging experience breastfeeding her first child without access to resource and support, Steph was inspired to care for other parents going through the same issues. Steph values sustainability and innovation and wants mothers she supports to know that they matter and that non-judgmental help is available while they nourish their babies. Today, we'll be chatting with Anne and Steph about the connection between postpartum depression and breastfeeding. We'll discuss entering another year where mothers are struggling with a formula shortage, understanding how mothers' mental health can impact their ability to feed their babies, and where they can turn to for help. So let's dive in. Hi, Anne and Steph. It is so wonderful to have you both here on our show. Thanks, Nina. We're so glad to be here. I am. I am. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. This is a great topic. And I'm so happy that we're talking about this because I think it's just so important that people, not just women, really understand the connection between breastfeeding and postpartum mood disorders. So really talking to you ladies more about it is going to be so helpful. But before we do, we always like to really get to know our guests before we dive in. So I'd love it if you both could tell me about yourselves, your backgrounds, and and how you guys ended up to where you are today. Yeah. Hi, I'm Ann Wanland. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Canopy. And we are focused on maternal mental health. And my background is actually in global health. So I am new to the U.S. healthcare system and how we do things in this country, which is kind of funny as an American. But before Canopy, I was working on maternal and child health in East Africa. And I moved to the U.S. when I was pregnant. I was in my third trimester with my son. And I was really caught off guard by my own mental health experience and sort of things came to a head at my son's one month well child visit. During the pediatrician visit, I was screened for postpartum depression and I couldn't actually talk without crying during that visit. And, you know, I know I had a positive result to that screen and I thought, oh, so many things clicked for me in that moment personally, but also professionally as someone who had focused on maternal and child health in other countries, and just as a public health issue, like, oh my gosh, we're screening for this. 
it must be so common and it must be really serious. But also, why isn't anything happening now? Why have I just been screened and I'm having this very emotional moment, but there's no follow up? And so that kind of led to all things canopy and, and what I'm working on now. But mental health was not really something I focused on in my career beforehand, despite working in maternal health. Oh, wow, Anne. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I totally think that a lot of women who listen to that can relate. Like, I have all these prenatal visits and then my postpartum visit and then nothing happens. What do I do? So yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, that is the problem we're trying to solve. Yeah. Oh, well, we appreciate you guys. Steph, we'd love to hear your story. So my name is Steph Ward-Muller. I am the medical records coordinator at Aeroflow Lactation, but I'm also one of the teachers in IBCLCs on staff. I've been working in the postpartum field for about 10 years now, and I, I love it. I just love it. I love because of the disparities that I noticed, I would say in my, before I had my son, and I turned to a more alternative pathway and got midwifery support and noticed there's this huge gap between the quality of care that the general population is receiving and the support. So when I had him and had my own postpartum mood issues and breastfeeding problems and just did not know where to turn, there was just nobody there. There was nothing available. There was some private care through the the midwives that I met, but there were just so many gaps. And I just kept on thinking, if I can be one more person that prevents another mom or other mothers from going through this experience feeling as alone as I do, I want to do that. Like we know that a big part of the challenge in the postpartum, especially as it relates to feeding, has to do with the lack of access to education and quality care. And I just have kind of gone wild building a career in filling those spaces. And I really love it. And now I have two kids and they're so much bigger and I miss breastfeeding them and I miss that little baby, you know, period of time. But here we are. Oh my gosh. Wow. I love that, Anne. And I can really relate to a lot of that too, because as a birth doula and a postpartum doula, I have been over 300 births and have helped over 700 families. And going into these homes and seeing what women have experienced when it was my turn to become a mother, I have two kids now. I chose the midwifery model care as well. But you're right. I was like, wow, I had all this support during pregnancy and birth. But then postpartum, it really is, you have to find it. <laughs> you have to find it yourself and you create have to that search village. for it. Yes, you really do. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> so I'm just so grateful for the work that you two ladies are doing and to have you on our show. I want to know, like, how did you each become passionate about mental health. This wasn't something that you studied and knew you were going to get into. Was it your own personal experiences or was there something that just really resonated with you? Like, wow, mental health as it relates to motherhood is something that I need to get more involved in. Yeah, well, for me, it was really a combination of personal and professional interests converging you know, there was part of me that was taking comfort in this idea that I had this framework, you know, having done some public health research before and really taken an objective view to maternal health through planning programs and, and you know, running organizations and stuff related to maternal health. I thought, okay, well, you know, this is an issue I'm interested in intellectually. But the truth is, 
the journey of creating Canopy and understanding maternal mental health was extremely healing for me. And it almost helped fuel that desire to do more because I realized how hard it was for me to admit the extent of my own struggle. Like it was so, so deep (laughs) and so hard for me to bring my personal experience into professional conversations. And it was just kind of through to a lot of people in this field, which is so wonderful, have personal experience and have, you know, are blending that professional and personal experience. And I think that's the most powerful thing you can possibly do, especially in motherhood. I would love to hear about, you know, Steph's experience here, but the experience of going through motherhood was just absolutely so different from understanding it from an outside view. You know, no matter how much you can be exposed to it and how much you can observe, there's really nothing like actually experiencing it. And I think in particular, we discount personal experience in public health generally, but also really maternal health. We don't really listen to moms and what they need and what they they actually want as much as we, you know, sort of make a lot of things overly clinical and overly research-based and overly this and that. So yeah, for me, it was really kind of the professional side was almost like an excuse, but I'm so, so glad, you know, that those two things kind of are fueling each other for me because perinatal mental health remains the most neglected maternal morbidity, you know, aside from being the most common thing to happen to you during complication of pregnancy and childbirth, despite costing our healthcare system and and society more than any other maternal morbidity and, and fueling our maternal mortality crisis. You know, it is so, so common, so neglected and so severe. That part of it, of course, was very, very motivating for me too. So prior to having my own kids, I actually was studying psychology in college. So this was kind of in the vein of something I've been fascinated by for such a long time. But I will say that once I had my son... And I was going through it on top of other like medical conditions that came up. What I found the most like interesting from an intellectual point of view, but also kind of shocking and scary as a mother was how sneaky it was. Like Anne was saying, we don't really listen to mothers. We don't typically value the anecdotal, even though we really should, in my opinion, we really should. And the fact that because of that, like, social norm of not listening, not taking mom seriously when they're saying something doesn't feel right, or I feel really bad, or I'm concerned about something. We just kind of have a habit, socially speaking, of dismissing. And so we do it to ourselves. And then when we are deep in the trenches of postpartum mood disorder, of depression, anxiety, what have you, we're not really taking ourselves seriously. And we're not really feeling like this is worthy of me finding support. This is something that should be investigated. And furthermore, we're not thinking about the impact that that really ripples out into the entire family dynamic. And, you know, for my personal practice and all of these years, as it evolved at some point, maybe like five or six years ago, I landed at the point where I realized that finding the thing that was the most sustainable for the mother that I was caring for was the thing that best took care of the entire family. And that really has led me, it's really kind of taken the practice of the physical support, you know, the kind of physiological experience of the breastfeeding dyad and how that does impact. 
and is impacted by mom's mental state and how we can take the two and find the most successful avenue to get mom and baby the best health outcomes, but also the mental health, emotional state being supported at the same time, rather than having to choose one or the other. It's either breastfeeding or feeling good and feeling positive. It's one or the other, and it doesn't actually have to be that way, but we do need support. We need informed people who are willing to listen and moms who feel safe, safe enough to actually say, hey, something is off about my experience and I deserve support. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And for our listeners out there, I think we need to like really take it back to like, how does a woman's brain change when we have a baby? Because you're saying there can be so many hormonal changes uh, when you're breastfeeding and that can affect your mood and mental health at that point. But let's also just take it back to like pregnancy after you have a baby and breastfeeding. If you guys don't mind walking us through that. So this is one of the things I find so fascinating. I think I found this out years ago, that our brain, certain parts of the brain actually shrink. They get smaller, but the fibers, the synapses in there get more dense. So certain things like hypervigilance and awareness of social cues, attending for certain sounds or things like that to our baby's cues, Those actually, like our brain actually physically changes and we can see on brain scans of mothers of how that is. And so what I tell my patients too, a lot of the time is that mom brain is a real thing. There are parts of your brain that are a little bit less active and engaged in this period of time, but are like physiological, like internally, our body shift in knowledge and in preparation of dedicating so much to our babies. That's just wild to me. And do you want to add to that? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I'm feeling this now because I am five and a half months pregnant and my brain feels quite different right now. Congratulations, (laughs) Anne. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been kind of a wild pregnancy. But yeah, definitely the brain stuff, the physical brain stuff is so wild. and, And yeah, just our brains are changing to really orient us to our position as mother, you know, to be able to care for our babies more and What I think is really interesting is there are obviously really positive benefits to that, you know, promoting bonding and attachment and responding to our baby's cues appropriately. But there is, you know, a challenge too to that, which is like our brains evolved in much more dangerous times when the threats to ourselves and our babies were very different to what the threats are today. But sometimes we over-index that hypervigilance, that hyper response to things that don't feel quite right to us can actually make us feel very anxious. So, you know, almost 100% of new moms have intrusive thoughts, these thoughts that kind of pop up out of nowhere, and they're just really extreme. They can be about danger coming to our babies or us harming our babies. And it's just a sign of us caring, you know, like we care about our babies, and we're worried about them. So we have these intrusive thoughts, or we have these kind of hypervigilant threats system activations that during very dangerous times when there were predators, it was less likely that, you know, we were going to survive. We had to be hypervigilant. We had to be thinking about all the risks and scary things that might happen to our baby. And that was a protective function. But now that we live in much safer times, we may still have that part of our brain that does that, but it's not necessarily to real danger cues anymore. And I think that is so fascinating. 
And, you know, another example of this, and this is just one of our wonderful clinical advisors wrote an incredible book about this. You know, first time moms in particular might struggle to bond with their babies because our firstborn babies were less likely to survive in, you know, thousands of years ago, you know, when things were just really different. And there's a protective function there. If we don't feel that initial connection or that emotional connection, especially with our baby the first time, that's not weird or strange or abnormal necessarily at all. I mean, it it can indicate need for additional support, but it can also be very common, normal feeling because our brains and our bodies are being protected because we don't want to overly attach to a little being that might not have survived in more dangerous times. That is crazy for me to <laughs> learn. That's mind blowing because I, that is something that I talk about with my clients is that if you do not feel this instant bond with your child, you are not a bad mother. I was that way actually with my firstborn, with my son. I, Lord, pushed for three hours <laughs> and it was intense. And when he came out, I just thought, thank God that's over. And wow, you're a big baby. But like, there wasn't anything else that was like, oh my God, you're beautiful. And I'm so in love. I just was like, I don't want to do that again for a while. And I'm tired. And where's, you know, my Jimmy John sandwich, you know, like, (laughs) and so for you to say that, I think it validates me feeling like, okay, I wasn't there wasn't something wrong with me to not feel just that instant love for my child that obviously, I mean, well, maybe not obvious to you, but for me, it, it grew. It was that love has definitely grown, but that's so reassuring that we're not crazy if we don't immediately feel that love. Not at all. And I think this is part of one of the biggest challenges of motherhood. And I think we're going to talk about this a little bit with breastfeeding and feeding in general. It's this kind of disconnect between expectations and reality and like what, you know, society or what other influences are saying, this is what good looks like, or what it's supposed to feel like, or this is what we should be experiencing. And it's just so often far from our reality. And like that can be really reassuring to just understand, like, nope, our brains actually don't always help us. And in fact, during motherhood, we're not wired for happiness. We're just kind of wired to keep this baby alive, whatever that might mean, helpful or not helpful. Wow, that is so cool. You know, it's not necessarily a great thing, but it's really fascinating to learn. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Now I want to know, like, what are some of the most common postpartum mental health struggles that new mothers face? Because we're hearing you guys say, like, this happens. This is actually, it happens more than you think. So what are those? So in our program, we're really tracking kind of what's coming up for people when they onboard into our program. So we find that relationships and sleep tend to be two of the top things that people are struggling with. Certainly feeding, that comes up a lot. And just this new identity kind of crisis that we all <laughs> experience for you know our brain reasons and also just our changed circumstances. And But a lot of the feelings, the common feelings that we see are inner criticism, like people are are much more critical of themselves and others. And they're really good also biological reasons why that happens. And we talk about that in our program. 
feelings of kind of blaming yourself more than you would ordinarily, like not giving yourself credit for things that are going well with the baby, but really blaming yourself if something's not going well. And then just kind of generally just feeling a little bit more negative and isolated. Those are two of the the other kind of struggles, I think, that are associated with those changing conditions around relationships and sleep and feeding challenges. What would you add to that, Steph? I would say what I've been hearing the most about, I mean, and and it kind of tags on to a lot of the things that Anne already listed, but more and more moms are asking questions about boundaries and feeling safe in their space and feeling like they're not sure how to advocate for, I mean, I know you see this in the birth world as a birth doula, it's a huge thing. And I'm a doula as well. And feeling the need to have to or prepare for this adversarial experience in order to protect what they feel, what they know really is best for them and for their child. And that I think is so influential. It's been coming up a lot. And of course, you know, inner criticism and what I feel like I see, and maybe this is because I grew up in Los Angeles. And so this is something that's very much in the forefront of my mind, but the just kind of subconscious thing that a lot of women carry is that my body is going to fail. And so not only are we feeling like a failure when feeding is messy, we're feeling low, we're judging ourselves harshly and without compassion, but we're also kind of like, there was an expectation set. We see this around conception, pregnancy, birth, and we see it in breastfeeding too. And I would say that those two things are very often underlying factors to a lot of what I see, what I, what I witness in, in my patients. Wow. Yeah. I definitely 100% agree with you. Like you said, having worked with families, seeing kind of, like you said, that adversarial (laughs) uh, issue. Oh, it's so unfair. (laughs) It's so unfair. Uh, Yeah. So again, I think that by talking about this, it allows people to know I'm not the only one who feels this way or feels like I'm struggling with this. So this is great that we're talking about it and hopefully we can get to more of like what we can do to, to help. But I love it if you guys could explain to us the correlation between specifically breastfeeding and postpartum mental health. Can we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Like <laughs> all about <laughs> You're it. like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's dive in. So like I said, so much of what I, when I meet with a new patient and I'm, they're telling me about their experience and I'm taking all of these mental notes and, you know, physical notes as well, keeping track of the information that they're giving me. And I'm watching mom, what is her face, her body language expressing? How close is the baby? How is her tone? How is she expressing? What language is she using that describes how she feels about herself? You know, is she saying, hey, I have these questions and concerns, or is she saying, I know I'm letting my baby down because I'm having trouble with latching and da da da, like all of these things. Like, how is she internalizing the stories that go along with the physical experience of what's happening? And we know, like, we've already touched on a time or two here about the hormonal changes, and they do happen multiple times, even throughout those first few months postpartum. It really is such a wild ride as things are getting dialed in from the pregnant state to the non-pregnant state, and that carries a big influence. But what I've also 
become very curious about is when we have, for instance, higher levels of cortisol, higher stress hormones interfering with oxytocin levels and other things going on inside. And if everything is recalibrating, what are we upsetting and creating a new homeostasis for? How are we setting this mom up for the long term? If she's got high stress for several weeks around feeding here, what is the longer term of her postpartum going to feel like? And at what point will she reach maybe that tipping point where she's giving up on something that she holds very dear and knows is beneficial for the health, long-term health of her child, as well as the long-term health that she experiences. So I know that was a lot, but that's, I try to take that whole picture and think about how do I move this mom towards the goal that she set? How can we take a short-term plan, maybe for like a week? to get her closer towards that goal and how can we take care of her and her emotional state in doing that. So basically, Steph, we like need a best friend you with us all the time to be like, hey, we're going to take it day by day, week by week. Like you can do this. I can also relate to this because when I, I was very blessed with my son, that breastfeeding went really well and I breastfed him for as long as I wanted to. And with my daughter, oh my gosh, she just had other plans. She had a lot of issues and it was a struggle and I had to exclusively pump and I felt like such a failure and had so many emotions tied with that. And being an entrepreneur, I don't get maternity leave, like literally pushed her out and was working that afternoon. So you get this guilt of like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing good enough. I can't focus my attention where it needs to be. So if something comes along your way and is a hiccup in your plan, so basically I need a Steph that I can call and be like, okay, I'm I'm struggling here. So like with that, now I need to know, I'm probably skipping through my questions. I need to know like when you're feeling that, what do women do? I mean, as it relates to feeding, I definitely always recommend find someone who is a specialist in that field. Find an IBCLC. A lot of the time we will ask the pediatrician, ask the OB, ask a nurse, and they can be helpful and sometimes can have some information, but really moving with somebody who has the information that is essential to support mom and inform mom of what's going on is a fantastic first step. And then I like to give it just, let's set a goal for a couple couple days or a week max. Let's just try to look at the next few feedings and how we can make this manageable, how we can preserve the goal that mom has as far as like the long-term, whether it's like protecting the milk supply. Okay. So right now we're pumping because we're having trouble with latching. So we're going to protect the supply. And how are we going to preserve that goal and take care of mom's emotional state? Because a lot of moms do actually relate to that feeling of like guilt and shame and like, oh, I'm letting my baby down because I'm not doing the thing you're supposed to be able to do. And it's just not that simple. I don't know how many moms I've said, just because it's natural doesn't mean that it's easy. Pregnancy isn't easy. Birth isn't easy. Breastfeeding oftentimes isn't easy either. But yeah, so we just kind of create a plan with mom's goals and the baby's goals and all of that bundled up and look at the short term. What can we do for now to support that? Let's get to that, you know, from point A to point B here. Let's not look two years out. Let's not beat ourselves up because, you know, way down the line, it might look different than we envisioned originally. Right. Right. And I appreciate that. And now I want to know like co-regulation. I think 
people, at least in this world, have heard a little bit about it. What is co-regulation and how does it work between mom and baby? You're both... (laughs) Yeah, either one. I don't want to assign because it could be like, uh, actually, she's the best person to answer this question. So I wait for you guys to jump in. (laughs) Co-regulation is when two bodies kind of come into alignment through physical contact. So we've got with moms and babies, and this is part of why physically breastfeeding can be very beneficial for the stability of the baby, why it's been related to lower rates of SIDS and things like that because the bodies synchronize. So the breathing pattern the baby has will synchronize with mom's. Mom's body temperature will raise or will lower in response to the babies to get them to a stable temperature. Like we have those warmers, for instance, in the hospital when the baby's not with mom or right after birth and they put it on the warmer because that thermoregulation isn't something a baby's born with. And when a baby's dysregulated, how are they going to communicate with us, right? That they need something. They're going to cry. And that's just stressful for everybody. But when we have that close contact with the baby with breastfeeding, baby wearing, things like that, we're allowed to help the baby's body come into that stable state where the heart rate, breathing rate, all of that is steady because it's synchronizing with moms. And sometimes dad's partner's body too, like anyone can co-regulate. Like if you're snuggled up with your partner, you might find that you end up breathing at the same pace. And that's why it's actually really beautiful. I was going to say, man, our human body is just amazing. It really is a miracle, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say that it poses a unique challenge for moms who don't get to have that experience, especially, you know, right after birth, if your baby's in the neonatal intensive unit or, you know, whatever happens, it can have kind of the opposite effect too, that, you know, I think one of the things that our healthcare system should really better acknowledge is that that mental health support or need for parents who have babies in the NICU, because it's there's a benefit to the parents too. There's absolutely a benefit to both the baby and the mom to have that kind of kangaroo care approach. So, you know, it, it's such an opportunity when we talk about these things that they can be so positive to also recognize there's, you know, a huge portion of the population that doesn't have the opportunity necessarily to do that. Yeah. Thank you so much for mentioning that, Anne, because you're absolutely right. There are some women who don't get to bring their babies home and having to experience that and know what to do and how to handle that is also a a struggle that I don't wish on anyone, but I know that it happens more often than, you know, necessary. So Another thing I want to really acknowledge with this is the fact that we know that golden hour period is really influential with the establishment of early breastfeeding. And many, many, many times I am working with moms who are getting or are scheduled for a cesarean birth and that's interrupted. And while that can be medically necessary, we have such a high rate of those cesarean births we know in the States. And that interruption even can ripple outward and have a bigger effect in the long term as far as successful breastfeeding. And even if it's just that short period of time that the baby isn't removed from the mom, say she's not leaving the hospital without the baby, but she's still losing something that feels so precious that we know is valuable. And I want to definitely include the like, almost like, I want to say nationwide, almost 40% of moms are experiencing that kind of early separation from their babies, even for that first hour or so. And that's, that's pretty rough. 
Yeah, you're right. I think it's like 33, 34% of cesarean moms and then also moms who have a vaginal birth who maybe, you know, the baby needs to be monitored. So yeah, I would definitely agree that probably 40% of women, if not maybe even more, experience something like that. So, and now I need to know, like you said, we've talked about hormones and how they play a role in breastfeeding mothers, but and not only just the negative way, but are there positives? What are the also the positives of this hormonal influx and, def- and a rise and fall? Like, let's talk about that too. Yeah, so oxytocin is a hormone that is released during letdown, whether you're pumping or you're breastfeeding, and it can actually have a really protective factor against postpartum depression. It's seen that that if you have a successful breastfeeding journey, you are less likely to have postpartum depression than if things go wrong. And that there are a number of reasons for that. It can be, as Steph was mentioning, part of it is that our definition of success should sometimes be reframed and can be reframed to maybe the most important thing is just that your baby is fed. But we have internalized some rules about, well, no, this is what good looks like, or this is what success looks like. Success just looks like this one journey. So I think it's more complicated than just blaming or attributing things to hormones, but certainly oxytocin can really have a great kind of temporary, but also longer term, be a supporter for our mental health for sure. Anything you would add, Steph? I mean, it definitely supports that attunement. We've been talking more about like attunement and attachment, and I know Anne can probably share a lot more about this topic too, but it helps us to be so present and aware when we're in that oxytocin fueled state. And then other perks to that too, that I think are very beneficial is we very often talk about the sleep issues we have, trying to take care of ourselves, trying to manage that with the, with the newborn, especially in those first few weeks, but uh, the prolactin and oxytocin that we experience when we're breastfeeding or when we're pumping, help us to sleep better when we do get to sleep. And all of our hormones for, I mean, for life in general, but for milk production, just as it relates to what we're talking about, kind of reset themselves and elevate while we're sleeping. So that kind of creates this really beautiful snowball when it's being supported. And it can also create issues when it's being interrupted. And I've seen more than one mom rebound milk supply. I mean, this is definitely not applicable to every single case, but I have seen multiple moms in my time in this field rebound from kind of the start of a really anxious state or depressed mood, feeling really just dissociated and low from getting more sleep. And it kind of facilitates so much more steadiness and stability in the hormones. It's actually really amazing to witness that too. Yes. Oh my gosh. I feel like any new mom can, and pregnant woman can attest to, oh, sleep is just crucial. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) And just to piggyback on something that Steph said about cortisol and, and something that cortisol is not helpful for letting oxytocin release in the body and something we have this class that we offer with Aeroflow called the brain-boob connection, where we talk about all these things. We talk about kind of biology and, and the social supports and sort of the, the more like cognitive behavioral therapy techniques that we can use to really address some of those inner mom perfect rules and why we might have them. 
But something that's been very well studied at this point is that getting into a soothed state of mind and really soothing your body before you pump or before you nurse actually helps that oxytocin release and it blocks, you know, because we're letting the cortisol levels go down. So one of the exercises in that class and something that we love to promote is something called autogenic training. And it was actually developed, I think, by the Department of Veterans Affairs for veterans coming back from stressful situations. But it's been proven to be to help milk let down. It's about basically training your body limb by limb, like piece by piece to feel more relaxed and heavy, 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 creating this sense of heaviness in your body and and soothing your mind in that way. And it you know, it can be so difficult to do, but trying to get into that a place of feeling calm and supported before you start nursing can be really helpful from the kind of emotional mental state. I totally hear that. Oh my gosh. So we've seen that research shows breastfeeding challenges are associated with a higher risk of the negative mental health symptoms. How can we manage expectations and goals to really help with that? That is such a good question. So we already talked about how that experience, how that physiological experience of successful or, you know, unsuccessful, depending on how we define it, influences how we're feeling. And that's why I've taken the way, like my approach and kind of brought it down to, for right now, how can we support the goal in the long term? And sometimes it's as simple as how do we build trust? Like a lot of the time it's a baby that's, for instance, needed supplementation early on. Mom's already feeling bad about that. And now they're having trouble getting the baby to latch. So how do we protect the supply? How do we get the baby back on the breast? How do we create connection and keep things headed in the right direction? And it's not force things to go a certain way. It's what in this moment is going to support the long-term goal. If it's just allowing the baby to be skin to skin with mom, and letting that oxytocin come up, build that connection, build the trust and the sense of safety, that will move us closer to the goal. Whereas when we just look at it as numbers, feedings, timeframes, ounces, and really take the humanity out of it, a lot of moms just feel frustrated and just feel like, I can't sustain this. This isn't reasonable. And it's really taking a toll on my mental health. I just don't feel capable of maintaining all of this. You're right. When you put it that way, it's like goal-oriented. And if you're not hitting your goal, you're not succeeding. And so if you're not succeeding, then you're not being a good mom. You're not succeeding at motherhood. So that's so real. Oh my gosh. Anne, what would you add? I would just add to that. I think that is spot on that, you know, we have, again, like going back to our brains and and how they've evolved and, and how we evolved as humans, We wanted to be seen as a worthy member of a group to get access to resources for ourselves and our babies. And so, you know, we internalize now messages from society and all kinds of different places about what good looks like. And, you know, it can be from our upbringing or, you know, what our friend did or sister did or someone we think is really, you know, someone we respect a lot or think very highly of. And we end up creating a lot of rules in our heads about what I have to do or or what this has to look like. And that's what I love so much about Steph's approach, what she's talking about here, which is like sustainability and goals and reframing goals and really thinking about the humanity of it. Because so many moms, like, especially if you're just pumping, you know, you just feel like, 
a milk machine or sometimes people are like, I just feel like a cow or like all my entire existence is literally just about feeding my, I think we've all felt this way, right? Like that has become our new identity and that's all we can see and it's all we can think about. And certainly that doesn't help our sleep, which kind of fuels this cycle. Like a lot of things in motherhood are about these cycles. We get into cycles and it's really hard to break out of them. But I think that that's, you know, exactly right. And I would say, you know, to your question also about what needs to change, like, we can't change everything about society and the social and kind of work supports that we get. There's a lot that we have to do to advocate for ourselves and plan for ourselves and protect ourselves in these different scenarios, which is very unfair. And just kind of acknowledging that, like we are part of a very imperfect system and we have the bodies and the minds and the like world around us that we have and just acknowledging that it's not our fault. Like this is not our fault. This is what we have around us and really trying to align to what that reality is, no matter what it is, can help lessen the gap between the expectations and reality. It's like, we just have to try to close that gap for moms as much as we can. I love it. Oh gosh, you guys are sharing such great information. And I, because I wish even someone who works in this field, I think that when you become a mom, you forget all of that stuff and you just want to do the best that you possibly can for your baby. And if it's not meeting the social expectations, you just are too hard on yourself. So hearing all of this just kind of just makes everyone feel like, all right, I can do this. And I'm doing a good job. So this is really wonderful. Oh my gosh. And how can moms feel encouraged to balance the demands of breastfeeding and self-care when it feels like too much? Because every new mom, they're like, ha self-care. They just think I'm joking. <laughs> so yeah, how can we encourage that balance? Well, Steph, what do you tell your clients? I'd love to know. First and foremost, I usually point them to the canopy app. To be honest with you, (laughs) I think I meet with many families every week and we talk about it in all of the classes that we teach or most of them, at least. I think they're adding it in to everything, to all of our classes and and making it available to the families that we serve, the families that we support. And what I'll tell them is this is such an accessible tool and a way to take care of yourself because taking care of yourself is taking care of your baby and taking care of your family. It's essential. and that's one of the first places I go. How are you feeling? Because if we feel bad and we take, you know, a nice hot shower, it might help, but it might not. If those feelings are lingering, but if we can give ourselves a few minutes to just sit down and do nothing, but listen to some guidance that will take us into ourselves in a loving and compassionate way, maybe some way that will give us a tool to physically calm our nervous system. Maybe it's just some self-reflection, whatever it is to address that emotional state, the whole rest of it is going to feel more manageable. And I view it as absolutely essential in order to kind of just succeed in life in general, to meet ourselves emotionally where we are and then move through the rest of it. And then no other point in our lives is taking a shower and eating a decent meal considered like <laughs> self-care. self-care. Like you're just so indulgent. And really it's like, no, I'm just taking care of myself. So we got to work on the reframe there and remember that we matter. 
we matter. And then another thing that I want every mom out there to know, like the two of you, me, all of us to know is you're doing better than you think. You might not be telling yourself that story, but the truth is I know you're doing better than you think. That needs to be embroidered on a pillow and in every person's house, in my opinion, because it's so true. I think that we're just so hard on ourselves, but that's just telling us that we care. We care so much. And how beautiful is that? Yeah, it is really beautiful. And Beth, thank you. <laughs> of course, you know, we're, we're so aligned in how we think about these things and so aligned that we actually have a canopy session called You Are Better Than You Think You Are. And it is so, so, so true. In what other context do we think that taking a hot shower is like enough? You know, that is just totally crazy. <laughs> you know, the coping mechanisms, the things we used to do to make ourselves feel normal and human and like, you know, good are not always accessible to us in the same ways as they used to be. So it's kind of like part of what we're trying to do is help people find new ways to feel like themselves and to feel good and to balance some of these really common things like feelings of shame or blame or failure or self-criticism. You know, those are all, they're just so common and sometimes we all experience them to some degree. And so it's just about you know, doing actual kind of research based like it's actually going to work self-care not like hot showers and a nice meal <laughs> here here oh my gosh <laughs> yes great and we got to start somewhere <laughs> but let's work up to what you're talking about I absolutely agree Anne. oh my gosh and what do you guys believe we can do to create more support and lessen the risk of postpartum depression well our view on this is you know, about half of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders can be prevented, which is a lot. It's just huge. And so, you know, we really take this kind of like treatment as prevention approach. Like we want people to start working on these coping mechanisms and these through the therapeutic techniques that we offer through the program before we need them, because that's actually more effective. If we learn how to cope or to do, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy technique or, you know, a soothing technique before we need it, we can more easily access it when things get tough. A lot of it is also just, you know, educating the people around us too about what might be happening and, and really understanding what's going on in our minds and our bodies during this time and explaining it to other people so they can better support us. You know, there's so much we can do in our minds and our bodies that are so important and have these really protective functions are really proven to work and prevent really things from getting worse or things from coming on in, in the first place. But the other thing is that social support is so critical. Having the staff in your life or, you know, whoever in your life really, you know, understanding what their limits and strengths are, of course, and knowing what to ask for and what being able to ask for, that's so critical. But just like, we often isolate ourselves as moms because we're so much just like in survival mode. So really thinking about like real ways that your community, whatever that looks like, whatever your community looks like, can truly support your needs. Really being thoughtful about like, what is it that I actually need right now? And putting it out there. 
I agree. And I even want to add to that. I love that you said it's about survival, but I also think that there's now an unhealthy amount of perfectionism and that if you show up who you really are in your motherhood, that you are going to get judged for what you look like, how you parent, all of these things. So they're like, so why even make the effort to put myself out there to be judged and have that negative experience? And so there's, I think, that that we're also battling with, that you have to let those feelings of insecurity go and show up. Because I really do think that there are some amazing moms out there that are willing and wanting to help you, but you have to reach out for that help and let go of that perfectionism. I don't know. That's just at least what I've kind of observed too. Yeah, so true. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, there was an article about this last year that came out based on some research that mom groups and mom communities can actually have a uh, negative impact on our mental health and our well-being, which is just so heartbreaking. So we really all need to do the work of cultivating spaces that are not judgmental and understand when we might be judging, which is a totally normal thing. Like the reasons why we do it, you know, we judge each other because we care so much and we all want each other to do the best we can, whatever. But, you know, understanding how our comments can affect other people or how those judgments might be coming out and we don't even realize it's happening. Steph said something about boundaries. So true. It sounds like this kind of vague concept and it's really hard to access, but boundary setting and understanding when you need to put up a boundary is so critical to preserving your mental health and well-being, not putting yourself in situations where in the past you've had a certain experience or you may think that this might you know, be hurting your mental health. Even if it's just like, I don't want to go on Instagram anymore because I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm not going to go on Instagram for a week because it's not helping how I feel right now. Absolutely. What would you say, Steph? I love that. I mean, I am a big proponent for finding and establishing healthy boundaries with everybody around us, really. Like, and I think one thing that comes up a lot is that most often, especially the moms that I speak to, they feel like they're setting these boundaries with their family and they're approaching it with this. How do I do this? They're going to be upset. Like this is about creating distance between them and a loved one when really it's about self-love and self-preservation. We're protecting the space. If you don't feel safe breastfeeding around somebody, but you need to feel safe in order to successfully breastfeed, you know, re cortisol and oxytocin, as we've already talked about a couple times, then we have to create a boundary around that protects that experience that will support that success. And, and that can be tough, but it is definitely on the radar of a lot of moms these days coming into that awareness. And I think it's vital. I think it's going to be vital moving forward. And one thing I wanted to mention before about ways we can support one another, having those boundaries with ourselves and having compassion with ourselves will influence the support that we find and we receive and what we offer because very often the stories, right? All of that influences the amount of compassion that we show others, the amount of judgment versus compassion or whatever else it is, because we're internalizing that and we're not having compassion with ourselves. And so that awareness can make a big difference and connecting in places where we do feel like we can create boundaries. We can practice compassion for ourselves and others 
is great. We have a mom's group at Aeroflow that I absolutely love, that it's just there and moms can just show up however they show up and everybody's welcome. As long as it's beneficial, it really can be so supportive in helping us develop a healthy perspective of ourselves and others as moms. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. This is just golden. I love this. Ladies, what advice would you offer to a new mom struggling with breastfeeding? <laughs> call an IBCLC. <laughs> <laughs> call an IBCLC. Call me. Call somebody. Call an IBCLC. Call somebody to help you. And it doesn't have to be because the baby is losing weight, because things are painful and too many moms wait until something is wrong. Connect with somebody prenatally if you can. Have a check-in before things go wrong. If they happen to go wrong, have somebody in your corner. I A lot of the times, there's probably like maybe 20 or 30% of the appointments I have are just with moms who say, hey, I just have questions. And just having the information of like cluster feeding is normal. So there are going to be days when your baby is eating around the clock and it's really demanding. And knowing that, oh, good, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I can handle this a little bit better. So yeah, connect with somebody who knows how to support you and connect with other moms too. They don't have to be at the same time frame. They can have older babies, but they probably can still help you see a healthier perspective rather than being isolated in this challenging, demanding experience, even in the best of cases. Oh, that is so good. Yes. What would you add, Anne? Just to add to that, because I I totally, I mean, I shamelessly, we had luckily lactation consultants at the hospital. I called them every five minutes because I just could not quite get it. I was like with the holding and what, I don't know what it was because usually I'm kind of shy about stuff like that. I'm like, okay, I'll just get it. I'll get it on my own. But I was like, no, I need all of your help right now. Get over to my room, please. That really did help me. Having that help was so critical, having that expertise. And I would just add, like, your breastfeeding journey does not define your motherhood journey. There is nothing, nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with so many different ways of caring for your baby. You are not alone. You are in great company, you know, and this might be a boundaries thing, but try not to take someone else's experience and internalize anything about what it might say about you or what you think it might say about you and your experience. And you are a good mom, no matter what, and can constantly, constantly reframe your goals and your rules and what success looks like. This was wonderful. You guys, this is so good. Oh, do you guys have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience with? Oh, you're doing great, Mama. You're <laughs> doing great. You are, yeah. Whoever you are, you're doing great. You're listening to this podcast, which means you care and you know, you're getting good information and support and whatever is happening, you are good. You are doing it. I love how often and you point out these signs of how much we care because I really is so like deeply at the root of it all, like is caring and love. And I wanted to say something before about the perfectionism thing. We just become so risk averse. And I think that also comes from that protective caring space, but it can fuel that perfectionism and have a look at why you do or don't want to get support and I think giving ourselves pause to think like, well, why don't, is it that I don't want to be seen for someone who is having a difficult time right now? Or do I really feel like I have all I need? And if it, it's even a little bit 
on the side of I'm a little bit nervous about not looking the part that I cast myself in, consider asking for help anyway. Reach out anyway. I promise you'll be glad on the other side of it, even if it's just like a five-minute chat with somebody getting your needs met matters, even if it feels like it's just a small thing. It is big and it matters and you deserve it. You need and deserve that support. So try not to let the fear be the guide, but the caring and let the love be the thing that's fueling the direction that you move forward through this motherhood journey. It's a wild ride. Ah, yes, it is. I couldn't have said it better myself. Oh my gosh. And where can our listeners find you guys? Canopy. So it's spelled C-A-N-O-P-I-E. You know, we're available through partners, you know, health systems and employers and health insurance companies, but we're also available on the app store. So people can actually just download our app and sign up. And I'm over at Aeroflow supporting families. So if you need, you know, I'm one of our team of IBCLCs. You can find me in classes and in one-on-one appointments, hanging out around there, just waiting to support whoever needs me. So you can have a Steph in your life, you guys. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both so much for your time, Ann and Steph, and for sharing your knowledge and your passion. It's obvious with all of us. We so truly appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Nina. Thank you so much, Nina. This was great. Oh, yes, it really was. It was so good. Oh, And for our listeners out there to learn more about Anne, as she said, you can find her online at canopy.app. And to learn more about Steph, you can find her on Instagram at Aeroflow or aeroflowbreastpumps.com. Our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions or comments about our discussion, please share them with us in the comments section. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Cheers to moms, their baby feeding journeys, and their mental health.